0: Okay, this is chapter 3 in this, that human bio thing. And today we'll be looking at nerve cells and nerve impulses. Well, it may not be today, it depends on what time you listen to this podcast. Anyway, the first thing to say is that although nerves are involved in the control of homeostasis just as hormones are, nerves operate very differently. And there are different types of nerve cells or neurons as we like to call them. And it's important to understand the difference in structure as well as in uh, function and so they have a structural name and a functional name so what you'll find is that the structural name for one type of hormone will be the multipolar neuron what that means is it has one axon and multiple dendrites extending from the cell body a multipolar neuron will also have a functional name And multipolar neurons will include motor or effector neurons, but they'll also include inter or connector or relay neurons, depending on which websites you look at. You can use those names interchangeably if you wish. If you were asked to draw a generalized structure of a multipolar multipolar neuron, I would recommend drawing the one that looks like a motor neuron. And if you were asked to name a multipolar neuron or name to say if you had a diagram of one and it said what is this structurally known as, the most common answer would be a motor neuron even though it is acceptable to write into or connect a neuron depending on what the question asks. The second type of neuron are bipolar neurons structurally. Bipolar neurons have one axon and one dendrite and these neurons tend to be uh, found in well, I would say that they're close to the brain. So you've got them in the eye, the ear and the nose. And so you'll find that they're very short, these bipolar neurons. Uh, they don't come up very often in exam style questions. Most of the time it will be a multipolar or a unipolar neuron, but they can come up. And so just for that reason, I have told you what they are. The final type is a sensor, is a unipolar neuron from a structural perspective. This has just one extension, an axon, and the cell body is found to one side of the axon. Most, not all, but most sensory neurons are, are that carry messages to the spinal cord are of this type. So then we move on to the functional types. Sensory neurons detect or pick up. So if you think about it, sensory means to you, you have a sense for something. You you sense it in uh, in terms of, for example, you hear it or you. Uh, notice it or you detect it so you detect a change in the environment which is picked up by receptor cells that pass information onto a sensory or afferent neuron now if you think that afferent is the first letter of the alphabet then you know these are the neurons that detect and carry messages from receptors into the sense organs or in the skin to the central nervous system and the central nervous system is made up of the brain and the spinal cord a motor or effector neuron does something, it can, carries out a function, so it's doing something, it's motoring. E is also after A in the alphabet, so effector means to carry away from the central nervous system. It carries thing, messages from the central nervous system to muscles and glands, and, and or glands I should say. Uh, this can be a little bit tricky because you need again to read the question carefully in an exam. Sometimes the question will simply be that the, it's an effector that the message is transmitted to but I have also seen questions for example in the 2018 paper where the answer was actually the uh, effector wasn't, it wasn't an effector it was actually skeletal muscle. Now you just need to read the question carefully to see if the motor neuron is traveling to a gland and therefore secreting, for example, an enzyme or, um, such as, or a solution such as saliva or in the stomach, a solution such as hydrochloric acid, or whether it's actually uh, traveling, in, as it is in most cases, to skeletal muscles and therefore is going to cause a contraction, which is the response of the effector. The, the muscle shortens or contracts in response uh, to a stimulus. In between the sensory and motor neurons, functionally, I've already mentioned, you've got an inter, which means between, or a connector, or relay neuron. Those terms, as I said, can be used interchangeably, and, the, and that's the functional types of neurons. Now we need to understand the generalised structure of a neuron. The neuron is made up of these dendrites. These are like branches of a tree. The dendrites are there to pick up stimuli, from either other neurons or from receptor cells, and these dendrites are, are branched, and that's their purpose to pick up its signals. And so they carry messages into the cell body, which is where you'll find the nucleus, and uh, all, like all cells, uh, you will find animal cells anyway. you'll find it has a nucleus, a cytoplasm and a cell membrane. Now, one section of the cell membrane is elongated, and we call that the axon. The elongated part of the membrane allows messages to be transmitted over long distances. At the end of the neuron, you will find the axon terminal. Now, the axon terminal, or presynaptic knob, is where usually you'll find that a hormone is released. And that hormone, sorry, not a hormone, that's wrong the what you'll find released is a neuro which means nerve transmitter it's a chemical my apologies and the purpose of that chemical is to for it to be released out the uh, the end of the neuron and we'll talk about that when we talk about synapses there are some what we call iron gated neurons where neurons are attached to each other and they have iron gates between them therefore electrical signal carry is continued and conducted along one neuron to the next neuron but in most cases, there is a small gap known as the synapse. Many neurons are covered in a fatty tissue or lipid tissue known as myelin sheaf. This myelin sheaf is produced by cells, and those cells are known as Schwann cells, named after the person who discovered them. The Schwann cells uh, allow fatty tissue to basically be wrapped around, and it means that the signal conduction can occur by jumping from what we call node to node. The nodes are known as nodes of RAMVIA, that's a capital R, A-N-V-I-E-R. RAMVIA, nodes of RAMVIA, and the signal transmitted from node to node means that conduction along the entire length of the node is quicker. Whereas an unmyelinated neuron will have to pass through each adjacent part of the neuron and therefore transmission is slower. If you suffer from multiple sclerosis, that means that you have damage to the lipid part of the membrane, in other words, to the uh, myelin sheath, and therefore this will disrupt the flow of nervous conduction along the neuron, and therefore it will slow down transmission. This is a common exam question where you do a comparison between an unmyelinated and a myelinated neuron. So how does conduction occur? Well, conduction occurs through an action potential, and action potentials are an all-or-nothing response. What does this mean? It means that there is a threshold level. If the threshold level is exceeded, then the response will occur and it will be the same each time. Therefore, it is all or none. At the start, before, before a neuron is stimulated, it is considered to be in its resting state. By that, we say that the resting membrane potential is at minus seventy millivolts. What does that mean? Well, what it means is this that when you measure across the membrane from the in- and measure the internal uh, membrane compared to the outside surface of the membrane, there is a difference of minus seventy millivolts. Now this is created because of the action but the action of the sodium potassium pump. This pump is active all the time even in rest and what it does is it pumps out three sodium ions which are have a valency of plus one for every two potassium ions which also have a valency of plus one that are brought into the membrane this means that three positives are moving out for two positives moving in and consequently the internal surface of the membrane is decreasing The reason it doesn't go below minus 70 millivolts is because the membranes are not fully uh, impermeable in other words they leak and as a result of that uh, there there is a point reached where it doesn't matter how much sodium ions are pumped out they will start to leak back into the membrane it doesn't matter how many potassium ions are carried in they will leak out of the membrane and this maintains the resting potential membrane potential at minus 70 millivolts. Now, if the membrane is stimulated, there will be an increased permeability to sodium ions. What does that mean? This means that some of the sodium gates will open, allowing sodium ions to move down their concentration gradient from a higher concentration of sodium ions on the outside to a lower concentration of sodium ions on the inside. As a result of that, the membrane potential will start to become more positive. Now, it may be that there isn't enough stimulation of that membrane for it to reach the threshold level. And as a result of that, the action potential is not conducted. And so, the membrane may return to its resting potential. However, if the, rest, if the threshold level is reached, then it will cause an all-or-nothing response and an action re- potential will be generated. This occurs when the membrane reaches minus 55 millivolts or there is an increase of positive uh, ions um, to the extent that it positively increases by plus 15 millivolts. When that occurs, all the sodium ion gates in that particular part of the membrane are opened and there is an influx of sodium ions into the membrane. This changes the polarity of the membrane from negative to positive. Therefore, we call this depolarization. The membrane has gone from one charge, negative, to another charge, positive. Now, at the same time, the potassium ion gates are opening, but they take a lot longer to open, and so they open very slowly. Once the membrane has reached about plus 30 millivolts, the sodium ion gates are starting to shut. The potassium ion gates are fully open, And therefore, no more sodium ions can enter the membrane, whereas potassium ions can move out of the membrane down their concentration gradient by diffusion. As a result of this, the membrane becomes more negative on the inside. And we call this repolarization. It is returning to its original starting uh, ion concentration, i.e. negative 70 millivolts. The potassium ions continue to influx into the cell, but eventually the potassium ion gates shut as well. Now, as the sodium-potassium pump is active at this point, there is a slight increase to minus 75 millivolts before the membrane returns to its resting potential. Throughout the time that the action potential is taking place, excuse me, both in the depolarization and the repolarization stage, no further stimulation can occur of that part of the membrane. As a result of that, we call this the refractory period. It is a period of time where no further action potential can occur. This ensures that conduction down the neuron occurs in one direction only. In other words, it moves from the cell body down the length of the axon to the axon terminals and therefore conduction occurs in one direction only. Now what causes the stimulation at the next point in the membrane? Well the change in charge in one part of the membrane causes the stimulation of a, the membrane at the next section and as a result of that stimulation or conduction occurs along the length of the neuron. Of course if there is myelin sheath this, may, this can't occur at the next stage, or the next adjacent part of the membrane, because it's covered in lipid. Therefore, the signal, or the transmission, or conduction, to be, or propagation, if you even want to use that term, jumps from node to node by what we call saltatory conduction. That is the action potential. Once the signal reaches the end of the membrane, it needs to move across a gap. This gap is known as the synapse. How does this occur? Well, what occurs is that calcium ions are stimulated to enter the postsynaptic sorry, presynaptic knob or axon terminal because of the stimulation of the nerve membrane, uh, sorry, of the membrane. And as a result of that, calcium ions enter the neuron at the presynaptic point. This causes the vesicles which contain neurotransmitters to move towards the end of the axon terminal and bind with the axon terminal thus releasing their neurotransmitter into the synaptic cleft. Because of diffusion what will happen is the neurotransmitter for example acetylcholine will move across from a higher concentration at the axon terminal to a lower concentration at the dendrite, or postsynaptic cleft, and bind to receptors. This causes sodium ions to enter, or to open, allowing sodium ions to enter, and therefore causing conduction in the next neuron. And by this way, information, or conduction, occurs from one neuron to the next. Once this has occurred, the neurotransmitter is broken down by an appropriate enzyme and then return, goes against goes down the concentration gradient, sorry, and returns back to the presynaptic knob or the axon terminal where it reforms into vesicles. Now, that last bit about the breaking down of the um, horm- sorry of the neurotransmitter is usually not asked for in an exam question, however, I would note this. Note that there are vesicles in the end of the axon terminal, but there are no vesicles in the dendrites, which ensures, again, that the signal travels in one direction only. And that concludes this podcast.